I would like to invite you uh, to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. And as we can see displayed on the screen there, we will be learning about the thankful leper. As you turn there, I'd like to invite you to stand with me and we will read the word of God. Starting in verse 11, we will go through verse 19. Luke 17, starting in verse 11, says this, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time to be in your house, uh, to be able to preach your word, Father. And I pray that everything I say brings honor and glory to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. May I exalt him with the preaching of your word this evening. I pray that you forgive me for I have failed you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> the one thing that I would like to get across this evening is this, that one of the most theological and practical things we can do is thank God for what he has done. So one of the most theological and practical things we can do is thank God for what he has done. I hope I can get that across this evening. Uh, I told Brother Shiloh this morning after he was done preaching that uh, he did a, a great job, and if he's second string, then I guess that means I'm third string. <laughs> uh, we're just we kid with each other like that, but Brother Shiloh did a wonderful job this morning. That message was a blessing. Um, as I have stated before, when you read through the gospel accounts, uh, Jesus has some very interesting encounters with some very interesting people. He, re he really does, and, and this passage is a prime example of that. And some of these individuals, despite their background, or the very little that is said about them, in this case, we don't even know the man's name. We don't even know exactly what the man says, but we do know that he has very good theology. And so, 10 men were healed, but only one man was saved. Let's look at it a little closer. You see the distant approach of the lepers, starting in verse 11 there. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 10 men who were lepers who stood afar off. So Luke's gospel uh, actually focuses in on a couple of transitions that take place during the ministry of Christ. One of those transitions is recorded in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51. 
says this, now it came to pass when the time had come for him, that is Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. I love that passage. If you read on a couple more um, chapters in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, uh, Jesus makes a lot of I am, uh, I'll put it this way. I'll just read it so I don't mess it up. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Right, He makes several statements like that, but that is one of peculiar note. And one individual in this collection uh, of lepers is one that understands that and one that is saved, as I said. But the passage we just looked at, when the time for him to be received up is reference to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. It can be translated this way, that he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And so that's one transition. Another transition, uh, transition is in Luke 19, 28, where Jesus begins the last leg of his journey to Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. And so everything in the middle describes what happens in between. And I don't know all there is to know about the different uh, stops that he made along the way, but we can tell that This wasn't a straight shot to the cross. The reason why I added Luke 9, uh, 52 through 56 is because it highlights both the racial and the theological uh, division between the Jews and the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans, after having been captured by the Assyrians around 721 BC, had been forced to intermarry with those who remained. And ever since this intermarrying had taken place, they were considered, uh, quote, half-breeds or not worthy of dealings with Jews. If you're familiar with the passage in John chapter 4, and you don't have to turn there, but that's literally what the Samaritan woman says to Jesus. We know that uh, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You read later in that passage in John chapter 4, the disciples were surprised that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman. There was a lot of division So what's interesting about this passage is knowing all of those things about this history between these two ethnic groups, that amongst 10 lepers, there are nine that are presumed to be Jews and a Samaritan in the mix. That's interesting. And so I would say in that sense, we know that misery does love company. That with all of the division that exists between these two groups, there is a Samaritan in their company. The scripture says, and as he entered into a certain village, 
there met him ten men that were lepers. And what's interesting is that this is not the first time that Jesus healed lepers. There's a, a man recorded earlier in Luke's gospel. Luke noted this man was covered in leprosy. So he had a very severe case. And Jesus, after healing this man, told him not to say anything to anyone, but to go show himself to the priest and to make an offering according to the Mosaic law. And what did the man do? <laughs> he went and told everybody, didn't he? Right? Uh, so he went and told everyone he could about it. So in other words, um, you know, word had gotten out about Jesus' ability to heal leprosy. Uh, Mark 145 puts it this way. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. So imagine a group of lepers hearing word about Jesus who works miracles can even do something as amazing as heal leprosy is coming through. And when he comes through, there is a group of them ready to meet him and to appeal to him for mercy. According to the New Unger's Bible Dictionary, the word for leprosy can actually cover a multiplicity of skin diseases. But we know that this is severe, that they have a very bad kind of it. But we see this in Leviticus 13 and 14. There is a lengthy, lengthy description about leprosy and what to do uh, with it. There are specific guidelines to protect communities from the spreading of this disease. And if they had any kind of leprosy, whether it be on the skin, on the head, uh, in the beard, whether it's harmless, uh, they had to be quarantined for a minimum of 7 to 14 days and potentially for life. That's how serious leprosy could be. And it gets worse. When they were removed from society, they were to wear a mourning costume and to shout, unclean, unclean when going anywhere so that no one would be close enough to them to uh, touch their skin. And there was a ceremonial process that was required, like I said, with an offering of sorts that would allow them to be restored back to the communal life and to worship. And so until then, they were only allowed to socialize with other lepers. I'm pausing not just for any kind of particular effect, but I say all those things and I go through all that length to just express that it's very easy to just read over that and not really think about how terrible that might have been. That's awful. Leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease and it's absolutely crippling. One person has put it this way, it becomes also involved with the internal organs as well as the skin. Fingers and toes can be absorbed into the body, literally absorbing themselves into the body because of the bacillus, I hope I'm saying that right for the medical professionals in here, invading the bone marrow. It impairs blood supply, causing the bones to shrivel and the rest of the body to shrivel as well. 
with the accompanying loss of feeling in the body due to nerve disease, the victim destroys his own tissue because he has no feeling. The bacillus can destroy the eye, causing blindness, penetrates the teeth so they fall out, penetrates all the bodily organs, and affects the larynx so that one winds up with a weak and raspy voice. And so it seems that leprosy today involves, like I said, the the nerves, whereas leprosy then primarily affected the skin. Now, it may have actually affected the other, um, the nerves. And if if that's the case, then verse 13, when we read it, it says, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If that's the case, then it might have been that they had to shout together in order for Jesus to hear them. Not that he didn't know because we know he's omniscient, but you see what I'm getting at there. But another example would be Naaman, who we know from the Old Testament, who was a leper, had leprosy, was later healed of leprosy, like we'll talk about, but was actually able to carry out his orders as a Syrian general. And so once again, there are different kinds. But verse 13 says, And they lifted up their voices and and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when we think about later in verse 15, the thankful Samaritan glorified God with a loud voice. Maybe (laughs) that's the first full use of his voice that he had had in a long time. But their cry is very similar to that of the blind men that I had spoke of the last Sunday night that I was able to preach. Have mercy on us. And uh, I shared this definition of mercy, and if you have a better one, I'll use it. But I love this one. It says, mercy is a form of love determined by the state or condition of its objects. Their state is one of suffering and need, while they may be unworthy or ill-deserving. Mercy is at once the disposition of love respecting such and the kindly ministry of love for their relief. So when Jesus uh, was cleansing the leper, we mentioned earlier in Mark's gospel, it says that he was moved with compassion. Kindly, affectionate love for their relief. If someone has leprosy today and can catch it early enough, it can be effectively treated, but this was not the case then. It reminds us of the advancement of modern medicine. And in that case, they were at the end of their rope. They saw Jesus as their only hope. And I would say we need to see ourselves spiritually the way these men saw themselves physically in need of God's mercy. Uh, The Bible puts it this way in Titus chapter three and verse five, that not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And as I've said before, that our physical needs can often cause us to look inward and realize our spiritual need as well. And when we come to the example of this thankful man, uh, 
I would say that it's hard to imagine that the man who was born blind in John chapter 9, for example, was thankful for his blindness, just like it's hard to imagine that the Samaritan leper was thankful for his leprosy. However, after both of these individuals received physical healing, they recognized only Jesus could heal them of their spiritual needs. And that's amazing. I had the privilege of working at a cabinet shop before I came here to, uh, to faith, and I greatly enjoyed that. Um, and I met a man uh, that worked there when I was working there just the first week, and this was the first conversation I had ever had with him. And uh, he asked me what I did uh, before I came to the cabinet shop, and I told him I delivered pizza and I was a youth pastor. And, um, and I asked him what he did, and he said he was in prison. Okay, and this guy's beat bopping around. He's excited as can be. He looked like he's happy to be there at work. And when he told me he was in prison, I said, okay. That's all I was going to say. I wasn't going to ask anything else. If he wanted to talk, I was going to let him talk. And, um, and so he keeps on talking, and he tells me about everything that happened in his life while we're just like moving sheets of wood around. <laughs> it tells me about everything that happened in his life tells me about how he ended up in prison, and then he finishes with this. He says, I'm thankful for all of that because if none of that happened, then I would have never found the Lord. And that floored me, just absolutely floored me. But that's kind of the idea there. Verse 14 says this, so when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. So Jesus gives them a command. He tests their faith. And I would say this, that we can be obedient before we see the evidence. (laughs) One of my professors put it to me this way. We don't always need to try to do things the obvious way but the obedient way. Why do I say that? I say that because God doesn't always do the things that we want him to do or think he should do the way we think he should do them. And this is an example of that. Um, Jesus tells the lepers to go see the priest out of his um, regard for the Old Testament law. And while there are people that say the Old Testament doesn't have any significance for us today, Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And so, <clears throat> it's interesting to think about that when these individuals would have gone to the temple, they would have been uh, forced to acknowledge Jesus' authority over this disease. Because all Jesus had to do was say the word and they were completely healed. And that's amazing. And the text goes on to say, And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. Now, it doesn't say how far they went. And it doesn't say what they said to each other, if they said anything at all. But we know that he turned back. And since they were healed, they were no longer ceremonially Um, ceremonially unclean and I would say this is where the theology of the man starts to shine through you see it's possible that since he knew he was a Samaritan that he couldn't go approach the Jewish priests for absolution like these other men could it's possible that they no longer wanted to be associated with them 
Because the one thing that bonded them together, the leprosy, was gone. Now, we don't know because it doesn't say, but they were able to be entered back into their covenant community and be able to worship again. The Jews and Samaritans didn't have the same views on worship. Even the woman at the well understood this. Jesus answered her after going through a dialogue and she says, well, you say, you know, we're supposed to worship here. People over here say we're supposed to worship there. In John 4 and 24, Jesus says this, that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. <clears throat> so, like I said, it doesn't say that he made all of those connections, but he could have. And it goes on to say, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So he not only glorified God, but he worshiped Jesus as God and gave him thanks. Right? And I can only imagine what that connection would have been like when they leave. They do as Jesus says. They put their faith to the test. They're being obedient. They go out. They're healed. And he realizes, well, if this man has healed me, then I don't have to go see a priest, right? I need to go see this man again. <clears throat> and he was a Samaritan, the text says. So the, the Jews who were sent off to the temple, who would have known the law of God, would have known even potentially the messianic predictions about Jesus coming into the world. They were so ready to get back to life. <laughs> Jesus had done what they had asked him to, and they were done with Jesus. And then this man, who is a Gentile, who doesn't know God, is simple in his theology, Shiloh. I like that. He didn't have to go talk to a priest. He was able to put two and two together. Well, if this man healed me, right, then I need to go back and see this man. So Jesus answers and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And this is rhetorical. And he knew the answer. He goes on to say, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? So Jesus is literally pointing out that this Samaritan is more spiritually minded than the other non-Jews that were healed. And verse 19 says, And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so just like in the story of the two blind men, the concept portrayed in the Greek literally means your faith has saved you, which is a separate word used for healing um, or use rather than the word for healing. That word isn't used there. So the individual recognizes that not only could Jesus make him physically whole, but spiritually whole as well. So his expression of gratitude then resulted in his receiving a spiritual blessing the others denied themselves of through the lack of appreciation for what God had done. Which brings me back to where I started, that sometimes the most theological and practical thing we can do is give thanks to God for what he has done. 
And I would also like to point out before I start to wrap it up that religion did not save this man or the other nine. (laughs) Not only did it not save him, it could not save him. Jesus saved this man. And so, like I said, there are some peculiar people uh, with some rather profound theology. Uh, Even though this man's theology may have been simple, it was right. Like I said, the man isn't even named. We can learn a lot from this individual and people like him, you know. Uh, And in closing, I I wrote down these things, that we need to see ourselves spiritually the way these these men saw themselves physically, which is in need of God's mercy. We need to be obedient even when things aren't obvious. And I can give you countless biblical examples of that. Noah, I need you to build an ark. It's going to flood. <laughs> right? Um, Lord, there are so many people here. How are we going to feed them all? They need to go back so they can all be fed. That boy's lunchbox doesn't have enough food in it, right? Uh, on and on and on. The lesson that God's grace really is for everyone. He was willing to save all ten, but only one came to him for salvation. Like I said, religion didn't save the Samaritan. Only Jesus can do that. And I don't know which one of those things you may have needed to be reminded of, or maybe you realized that for the first time this evening, but for me, it was good to be reminded that one of the most theological and practical things we can do is thank God for what he has done. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can get everything else right and be so caught up in everything else in life that I don't stop and genuinely do that from the heart. And this man here in this passage, when he prostrated himself before Jesus, which is literally what he did when he put himself before Jesus, I know that man couldn't get low enough. And even though he praised God with a loud voice, he couldn't have praised God loud enough. Thank God for what he has done. I'd like to invite Brother Bill back up, and I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And maybe you need to do that tonight. Maybe out of all the goings on, even though we just went through one of the best times of the year at Easter and celebrated the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, maybe since all those things have gone on, maybe we haven't stopped and thanked Him like we should. I know I haven't. Let's pray.